Hello and welcome back to another episode of Can Do Attitude. I'm back here with Helen Meek and a very special guest for this one. It's Andy Carmichael. Hi, Vlad. Hi, Andy. Now, you might have heard of Andy from the Essential Kanban Condensed. It's the one you can get on the Lean Kanban University. I've posted the link in the description if you want to have a look. And he's also Helen's resident Kanban numbers guru. Absolutely, Vlad. I'm really excited to have Andy here with us today. Cost of delay has always been a bit that mystical thing for me. And when I think about it, the first person that I always picture is Andy. And so I was really excited to get him along today to come and talk to the audience about what really is cost of delay. So Andy, tell us a bit more about yourself. I've been around in software projects and software engineering a long time. Most recently, I've been working as an agile coach and training in Kanban, Scrum and Agile methods. Prior to that, I've been involved in running businesses and consulting with businesses, particularly focusing on improving business agility. So why does this topic interest you in particular? So this this topic has been a bit of an obsession for um, about a year because I was writing the Essential Kanban Guide with uh, David Anderson and cost of delay obviously comes into it and we need to explain how things like the archetypes for classes of service relate to the analysis of cost of delay and how cost of delay changes over time. So getting that right and looking at all the people that have written about cost of delay from Don Reynolds onwards really was why I got into it. Whether I wanted to get into it or not, it, sometimes it has kept me up at night, I have to admit it. But it's, uh, it is an interesting topic and I believe a very important topic generally. So we're hoping you're going to help us demystify this today and everybody's going to leave here with that, that great understanding and how they can start using it in their organisation. Or at least the beginning of a great understanding. Yes. Let's try not to oversell this. We're aiming for miracles. <laughs> Let's not make it too complicated either. I think, uh, you know, it's cost of delay. It's how much money you're, you're losing per week because you're not releasing something. That's so if that's, if that's what, is that your definition of cost of delay? So what I would say is the definition of a cost of delay is if you think about a piece of work and that piece of work has some value to your organisation, that value diminishes over time if you delay its release. So say, say I'm doing a, a software change which will save two full-time employees in a, in a particular thing. So we're going to change the data entry to a, a system which doesn't need it. That savings of two full-time employees is a rate of value that if you haven't got it now, you're losing that until you've got it. So, so would that you, is what the cost of delay is. So would you like work it out on a, like the cost of a delay on a monthly basis or do you pick your units or is it total? So cost of delay is a rate of the loss of value due to a delay. So it is value, so we measure it in dollars or pounds or euros, per week or per month of delay. That's the way to think of it. It's a rate of loss of value. So of then delay. you can start having tangible conversations with your customer. So what's the difference between this and business value then? Because quite often in the Agile world, we talk about the business value, so the effort versus the value you get from it. How is this different? They are very much related. The first thing is to ask, if you're going to do something, what is it worth? And so very often people do a 
a business case for an epic or for a project and they'll say if we do this work we're going to make five million dollars right well what does that mean that might translate to the lifetime profits of this particular thing that you're working on over the whole lifetime of that feature so very very difficult to estimate but that's that's what business value is it's a number in dollars or pounds um, that tells you a lump sum. Now, there's other things you have to take into account to say whether that's a good idea to do it. How long do I have to wait before I get that value is one thing. And that translates into the yield from something and its duration. So you know, if you have to wait a long time, it's much more risky if you're getting it immediately. and that's So that's business value. Um, Lots of different aspects, when you think about the work we're doing, lots of different aspects of business value, not just lifetime profits, but maybe we do something because we learn from it, we do something because it increases the number of subscribers, even if it doesn't increase our profits. So lots of elements, aspects of value that we might have to do. But how we measure value, we can then say, okay, we have a plan to release this piece of work. If we release it on that date, we will get this business value. That's what goes in the business case. What people usually miss out is, well, why should I do it on that date? Why not leave it for a month or leave it for a year? How much would I lose then? The delay cost is the amount that you would actually lose. And, and the cost of the delay or the urgency of the item is the rate at which the value is decaying. The delay cost is the sum of costs of delay per the period you're thinking of. Yes. So if you think of it as a graph, mm. so here's a week I've lost thousand dollars is another week I've lost another thousand dollars the rate at which the thousand dollars per week is the cost of delay if it's six weeks and it's six thousand dollars it's the integral so delay cost is usually what we plot and it's called the delay cost profile how can we make it real so for me I'm working in an industry where Black Friday is really important to us so we have to do a number of things as a business to make sure that we're ready for that that particular point in time which is if you like and it's it's a fixed date isn't it mm. so say for example the the business benefit is that I think if I get everything ready for Black Friday I would normally say that there might be 10 million pounds just say for example of business benefit that I would get how would cost of delay fit into that scenario so this is a very interesting example you give us, Alan, because it's it's quite different than the first one I did, where he's saying if we're we're saving costs, but because we aren't employing someone, um, then we're getting the benefit of that every week that we're not employing. Your example is is like a cliff edge. There's no cost to delay, right up to Black Friday, and then on Black Friday. The whole value of what I've been trying to do, in other words, get the site ready for Black Friday, disappears because it's now not Black Saturday. And, uh, you know, what are we going to do? We've lost the whole value of that piece of work. This is the point that cost of delay isn't always constant. So sometimes you can say, well, it's $1,000 a week. And, you know, every, every week we delay, we lose $1,000. Sometimes, in your example, so we've got lots of time before Black Friday. So why don't I delay starting for another week? No cost of delay. Another week, no cost of delay. But then you're getting close to things, hang on, we can only just do it by that date. In other words, there's a risk, and I can't predict precisely how long this work is going to take, but we get into that point where we should have started 
we're beyond the last responsible moment, we're now into the first irresponsible moments, and we are looking at a total loss of that one cliff edge of Black Friday. So that definitely makes sense to me. If I think about another type of work I do, so to give another example, I mean, I think maybe this one fits within the standard piece of work. Maybe I'm doing a redesign on a, on a website, so it's important that I get it out for my stakeholders, but the, the business will continue to keep functioning regardless. But say, for example, we think that we can generate X amount of pounds from relaunching our homepage. How would we work out the cost of delay on that? This question of how do we work out cost of delay is, is very interesting because one of the things I said about cost of delay is impossible to measure cost of delay, even after the event, even after you've released the piece of software that you were thinking about, because it's quite difficult to actually assign okay, your new homepage, how much of that new revenue came from the homepage, and what you may be able to look at that and see certain things. But what's totally impossible is would you have got the same effect if you'd released it two months later or three months later? In some cases, there might be a negative cost delay because actually sometimes it's not worth doing the promotion for Black Friday too, too far before Black Friday. It just loses you money in this period. So you can also have a negative cost of delay where you shouldn't actually release something until later. And so all those things come into it. We can't measure it directly because we're comparing what what we think has happened due to releasing on this date with what we think would have happened had we released it on a date when we're not going to release it. For examples like Helen's one, where we, we make a change to something that currently exists as opposed to introducing a new feature or even when introducing a new feature because sometimes when we design things, one of the simplest ways we can see if it's working or not is doing an A-B test. So half our people see the change, half don't. Could we do a sort of A-B test for releasing features to calculate cost of delay? So we split our audience and seeing if the people who saw it earlier generated more income for us than the people that didn't see it earlier. So have we, are we maybe varying into um, an area where we've got a hammer in our hand cost of delay and we use it for absolutely everything? We have to look at what, okay, we can't measure it exactly. It doesn't mean it's not useful because we can estimate it. But do we use it in every case? And I think what I see a lot of people in the Agile community now is thinking, oh, we've got a new tool cost of delay, we'll use it for everything. But all we need to do is fill in the spreadsheet, order it by this column, and lo and behold, there's your backlog sorted into priority order. I don't believe it. And your example, okay, so we're saying that we want to do some A-B testing. What we want to do is we want some learning. What we're valuing in that case is not the actual thing we release, but the learning that we get out of A is better than B. And you think, okay, we'll now, we'll now go ahead and do it. There's still a cost of delay. There is still a cost of delay. We want to get that learning early so we can do the right thing, so we can get the benefit. But how do we quantify the price of that learning? You know, sort of, would we pay someone who came to the door and said, I can tell you which of those two features is better? Here you are. No, we wouldn't. You know, so we can't really quantify it. But we still have um, we still have the concept of cost of delay, and we still need to look at how not just prioritization decisions made or ordering decisions of work get made, but also what other behaviour managers get up to because they don't understand cost of delay. And so one example of that for me, um, having worked in more than one bank, and I find they all do it, 
is about a month or two before the end of the financial year, they have a travel ban. It's sort of predictable. They don't tell you beforehand, but they this is they were going to do a travel ban. And thinking, oh, why have we done that? I can't now get together with the people in my project and finish this thing by this date, which is very important. That's where someone is making a decision where they have no concept of what the cost of delay of what they're doing is. There's, but, and I, I met someone in a taxi who, who was actually responsible for this, for this um, <laughs> uh, policy. And she said, oh, it's such a brilliant policy because we just put £70 million onto the bottom line of the bank. And we didn't have any effect on the business. I said, no, you don't <laughs> know what the effect of the business because we can't measure cost of delay after the event. So we can't tell you precisely what it is, but there was an enormous cost of delay on a lot of projects because they couldn't get their teams together in that month. And that is where we need to bring this into the dialogue of management and, and accountants who can help us over the problem of how you know accountants are good at at finding ways to put numbers on things which are very hard to do and that will help us make better decisions. Now you said that you really don't want to use it as a simple tool where you just fill in a spreadsheet or some, a bit of software and then you kind of order by column. So how would we use it in a responsible way? So Don Ryanson introduced a concept and maybe the question you were just dying to ask what called uh, WSGIF or WSGF, Weighted Shortest Job First. It's because Don, and his book is called um, uh, Principles of Product Development Flow. So it's a, it's a book about flow, very influential in the Kanban community and elsewhere. And he introduces a, a vast number of principles, and it's quite a heavy book in 300 pages, which he says should have been 600. You know, so it, nevertheless, that book. Um, shows what the importance of cost of delay in managing projects. He's mainly talking about quite sizable items. This is where I think we've got to be careful about saying, oh, Don Ryanson gave us a technique that we can take a Scrum Team's backlog and we can order it by cost of delay or by WSGIF. No, probably you can't. Um, even when you look at epics in larger scale agile deployments, you have to be careful about that. It's not a formula which you can just apply. But nevertheless, let's talk a little bit about um, where did shortest job first, because shortest job first is a, is a scheduling algorithm from operating systems. When you've got a queue and you, you want to know which one you put through the CPU, doing the shortest job first is a, is a pretty good sorting algorithm for getting the best flow of work through your single bottleneck of the CPU. So if the scrum team is like a, a bottleneck, you, you know, you've got a queue of stuff you want them to do. Um, we could just use shortest job first. What are, what are the shortest jobs? And you can see the problem with that, particularly because management tend to keep bottleneck processes, development teams, they try to keep them busy. So there's always a queue in front of them. And if you do shortest job first, you'll find that the big jobs never get done. And the big jobs may be more important. And that's why Don Reinerson said, well, don't just use shortest job, we can wait them by the importance or the urgency of that job. Urgency I use as a synonym for cost of delay, but it's, it's, it's basically, if we take the cost of delay, divide it by how long the job is, that gives us a, a term, some people call it WSGIF, that will give us an ordering of that backlog. 
And just on, on the shortage job first, in several other companies I've found that people tend to use processes such as the small change process to try and get things in. So they just make their bits really tiny and put lots of them in because of what they're trying to do is gaming the system. Whereas I imagine if you have them weighted, then it's much more difficult to game that system. A lot of what agile teams want to do is get the jobs smaller than they are. A lot of the problem of getting agility from a business perspective is that the proposals that are made for new work to be done are too big. So in one sense, if we introduce a rule and that means people gain it and, and make smaller proposals, that's a good thing. But it's still there are still some things which are big, which we can't break them down into smaller items which will still give value. That's always the first thing to look at. You know, are we going to schedule those larger items? And when you talk about the value that you use in that calculation, you said earlier on some of that can be two FTEs or it could be a financial amount. So does that mean that you just attribute a number to that or what, what variable do you use in there? So there's lots of aspects because the thing about WSGIF particularly, um, CD3 is the other thing you might, might hear, cost of delay divided by duration. So that's C followed by 3Ds, cost of delay divided by duration. That tells you how to work it out. WSGIF is greatest shortest job first is the, the name of the algorithm. Both, well, they are the same thing. They depend for the formula on an assumption of linear linear delay cost. In other words, the cost of delay is constant over the period you're interested in. You've already given me one example where the cost of delay is clearly not constant. There's other situations where maybe it's learning. Maybe we're in a complex domain and we can't really predict what the values are going to be. What we need to do is small experiments that we can do. Again, a lot of these things are not straightforward applications of a, an algorithm which was designed for large work items like projects or products, and you're, you're delaying the whole release of that large item. That is, that is where Don Anderson designed this for, and this is where it becomes quite dangerous to apply it to a spreadsheet type thing where we can do it on a backlog. It's not to say we don't take it into account, but just take that warning in terms of using the simple format. There's, I, I did lots of discussions on my blog in terms of what, what the specific assumptions are behind WSGIF and, and you know, what, where that makes some things inapplicable. Um, but it's still a very useful technique. And while we're talking about Don's book, he also introduces a phrase, so we call it cost of delay, but he also uses delay cost. So I don't think we've talked about what those two differences are, because I'm a bit confused about that. Right. So generally when we draw a graph of this situation, we draw a graph of the delay cost. I call it a delay cost profile. Um, and the delay cost in Kanban, we were probably familiar with four archetypes of delay cost profiles that we use for classes of service. Yep. You mentioned the fixed date one where you're coming up to a cliff and suddenly the delay cost goes up at that point. No cost delay up at that point, massive cost delay afterwards. You could have situations, uh, actually Don Rynerson and Preston Smith wrote, wrote a book some time ago, nearly 20 years ago now, um, and they refer to something called the urgency paradox, which is where you're losing value because you're not releasing this item and you would get value if you did, but you're also losing value because you're losing market share because other guys are releasing stuff. Mm. And that sort of double whammy shows up as a particular kind of 
a, a diminishing cost of delay or a diminishing urgency profile. What do you see, the paradox of it is that at the beginning, when there's quite a long way away from releasing the product, everyone's relaxed, you know, there's no urgency in the company, whatever. And as other people are releasing their product in this space, the urgency level, the apparent urgency in the company, in other words, the panic in the company is rising at a, at a, in the opposite direction. The real urgency is going down. The feeling of urgency as we're losing this market share is going up until almost the whole value of this item has disappeared. So, yeah, the difference between cost of delay and delay cost is basically one is the first derivative of the other. Delay cost is measured in dollars. It's, you know, what's my delay cost at this point, at this date of the, on the calendar? And a bit later on that, it's a higher cost. And if you take the, the gradient of that curve, that gives you the cost of delay. It's confusing, but actually it happens in English. I know this is not the term they were using, but would it be fair to say that delay cost could actually be called lost value? Yes. So delay cost equals lost value equals yeah. all of the cost of delay up to this point in time? Yes, yes. And the cost of delay is the rate at which value is being lost. You know, today we're losing $1,000 a week. Next week it might be nothing, it might be twice that. So I think that's, that's cleared up on my mind some of the differences between them. But how would I go about using some of this stuff on the actual work? So I'm in my Kanban team, I'm faced with a queue of stuff that I need to start doing. You've told me that at some point that it's not quantifiable and there's different scenarios. How, how can I get started using this so I can get some value from it? So I think one of the things that we encourage people to do, first of all, is to categorise the type of cost of delay that we're talking about. And so to use those four delay cost profiles in Kanban, which are expedite, standard, fixed date, and you're going to give me the fourth Intangible. One. Intangible. <laughs> Those are four archetypes of delay cost profiles. So the expedite one is just a very, very steep, very high cost of delay. In fact, it's so high, I don't need to talk about quantifying it. So the platform's on fire in the Gulf of Mexico, oil is pouring out. I don't need to calculate how much money is the company is losing on this. I just need to send... Anyone who can help to fix that scenario, fix it. So if the payment gateway on the website goes down, fix it because we know the cost of delay of that is very, very high. We'll do anything, we'll move anyone. We don't need to calculate what it is because we just need to fix it. So that's the expedite example. It's an, it's an example you really don't need to quantify it. You just know this is a bad situation, fix it. Your house is burning down. Your house is burning down. Get it get it fixed. I don't know. Some of these teams that I see, they put expedites through and I'd really question whether they were or not. So I suspect we'd need to tighten up some of our policies. <laughs> because of the definitions, that. yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I suppose then you can quantify it. You can say, you know, if, if you're not losing $1,000 a week or a day, then it's not an expedite. And it's not an expedite. <laughs> so um, the, the other extreme is the, is the intangible, where it apparently is a very low cost of delay, you know, that... Yeah, replacing the platform will do it eventually, but at the moment it's not urgent. Now, the problem with intangible work like that is there comes a point, sometime which you can't really predict, when there's an elbow in the intangible things. 
pay attention to the intangibles and particularly use intangibles on your ordering of work so that you make progress in understanding the problem before it turns into an expedite and you suddenly, you know, Microsoft are withdrawing the support for, for Windows XP or whatever and you've got to replace the server. Now you've got to do it. Okay, so I'm going to go through my queue and I'm going to have a look at all of the work and I'm going to say whether they're fixed date, standard, intangible mm. and so on. So what steps do I do after I've done that then or is that it? So the first thing I'd say to that is that Cost of delay is not just about ordering work. Cost of delay is understanding, in the general sense, the, the relative importance of things. But when you have an appreciation of the point at which, say, there's a change in the cost of delay and it's moving upwards, that's the point where I need to get the release done before that point. So that's where we look at forecasting when work gets completed and if the answer to that is not the right answer you know if we're going to miss black friday we need to then take action to move resources into the right space cut the scope on the the item expedite things ask people to work overtime all the sort of things that we do to make sure that we don't step over that cliff where there's a, a, a real cost of delay. So it's really kind of in my queue I'm looking at rather than like one to ten as priority it's kind of these things need to be done before this date because that's then a kick in for the actual cost of delay to start changing. Mm. So it, it could be as in cost of delay dates that helps me to know which one is the right one to pull through. So I think in Agile teams we avoid this this thing of real of real deadlines. To me, the definition of a deadline is where the cost of delay suddenly changes. We introduce all sorts of deadlines in teams. In my opinion, one of the worst is to treat a sprint boundary as a deadline. A sprint boundary is not a deadline. It's a review point where we look at what we've done, we look at how fast we go, we look at how fast we're going to go in the future. If we treat it as a deadline, and either think, oh, we've got plenty of time, I'll sit back and, you know, because we've got three days, we've only got one feature to finish, you know. So I'm sure there's a, a law finish. for this. Yeah. <laughs> um, or, more likely, you know, oh, we committed to too much work for this fortnight, we're going to work nights, we're going to finish, we're going to, you know, we're going to get this stuff done because otherwise we won't get a free lunch when the other team that, you know, did hit their um, forecast do hit it. A sprint boundary is not a deadline because there's no cost to delay change at the sprint boundary. It is just a review point to see what is the velocity of the team. On the other hand, something like Black Friday, something like the Christmas promotion, something like I'm doing the system for the Olympics and actually the, the opening ceremony is next mm. week. These are deadlines which we cannot avoid. We have to bring that into the team. Not all features... Not all work that we do have real deadlines associated with them. Very often we'll generate deadlines by saying we want that, you know, we told the CEO it's going to be done by uh, the 1st of July. I don't want to look like an idiot. I told him it's done by the 1st of July. But actually, if you're taking delay cost into account, and cost of delay, particularly the rate at which you're losing stuff, you might decide it's more important that we get to know the features, you know, we do some A-B testing and some learning before we release it, or that we pay attention to the fact that the Black Friday thing is coming up and we're going to um, lose all the value. And so we're, we'll say, no, that is not a real deadline. That is just somebody talking to the CEO saying he thinks it's been under the, 
1st of July. There's no change of the cost of delay on the 1st of July, other than the cost maybe to your reputation, or maybe he's the kind of guy that fires you because you told him something that didn't happen. No, that's a different kind of cost of delay. And the real cost of delay is what we need to pay attention to. So Andy, if you were going to give our listeners top tips, things that you recommend when starting out with um, cost of delay, what would some of those top tips be? So the first thing is is not to be fearful about cost of delay, even if you read my blogs and you don't understand a word of them. Right? This is not something that is beyond understanding. The words make sense, although obviously if I tell you that delay cost uh, or cost of delay is the first derivative of delay cost, that, that confuses you. But the concept that things lose value because when they arrive late, that is something we all understand. That is something that should be part of our vocabulary when we are discussing what we do, how we manage teams, how we interact with HR who are recruiting our staff, which will define when we can start and these sort of things. Delay cost and cost of delay are really vital to understand. So that's the first thing. Let's just understand the concepts and understand the, the, the terms. Now, I think the delay cost profiles also called the um, classes of service archetypes, those are very useful as a qualitative approach to using cost of delay in a, in a very concrete way, particularly where there's a, there's a step, step change or, or um, a, sudden, uh, a sudden change in the, the value or the degree of cost of delay. Those are giving you clues about when there's a real deadline, there's a real point at which we are going to lose money if we don't do it. And hopefully, if this is more widely shared in the company, we'll also get um, other managers considering cost of delay when they make arbitrary decisions that affect the schedule of the projects that have to abide by those decisions. You know, the, the travel ban is just a bee in my bonnet, but... Uh, that's an example of that kind of thing. So first of all, don't let's fear this term. Let's understand it. Yeah, if you're interested to get to the bottom of some of the things like WizGIF and, um, and actually see that some quantifiable elements of it, by all means do that. But the most important thing is to see this as part of the dialogue of how we manage teams. So you've told us about the top things that always remember when thinking about cost of delay. What about, would you say, was your biggest pitfall? What was the biggest thing to watch out for? So, as I said, I started this, this series of blogs. It was actually um, before that when we are putting together the essential guide to get all these different authors that have written about the subject after Don Reinertsen, um, to actually trying to understand how they all fit together. And so unpicking some of those things, un unpicking the problems of the terminology and the overlapping terminology, was one of my pitfalls, if you like, one of the areas which I had to work quite hard in my brain to, to get around exactly what they're saying and when they use different terms for the same thing or the same terms for different things, how that actually translates in practice. 
Hopefully things are becoming clearer, but it's not to say that the controversy has gone away from this area. It hasn't. There are some, you know, there are some inaccurate and just untrue formulae out there which you should avoid. Um, I suppose I can I can name it because I have no idea why this formula is still on my website. The safe formula for WSGF is wrong. It it asks you to to add together. Um, three terms which are in completely different units. And if you do that, um, you will get a completely arbitrary answer. It cannot be the right answer. Now, Joshua Arnold has done a suggestion for correcting that formula, that formula and it's fine. You know, okay, you can correct it, um, but why hasn't it been corrected on the website? I have no answer to that because um, maybe they still think it's right, it's wrong. So, yes, there are some pitfalls out there, and because people make mistakes with it, and because people encourage people to use it where it's not applicable, like ordering very small items, don't do that. You can't, you can't assign business value to them, let alone cost of delay to them. But where it is applicable on larger initiatives, make sure it's part of the dialogue and the way that you talk about how you schedule items and how you move resources to where it is needed now. Um, and that's that's a really the good starting point of cost of delay. And I thank you every day, Andy, for trying to make sense of this, what seemed a complicated topic, um, because you've definitely got the right brain there to do it for us. I would just like to say one thing. Can Directive is not responsible for Andy Carmichael's opinions related to SAFE. Please direct your lawsuits directly to Andy Carmichael. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, so one thing I will say, because I, okay, so now I said some bad things about safe, now I start to defend it. The one thing I would Thank say about person. it that, um, that, can, that safe consultants tell me is if they go through a workshop talking about a spurious formula and using a spurious formula to get some, some numbers to add together and divide by and whatever in, a, in an arbitrary fashion, they have a useful workshop because stakeholders talk together about what the value of these items that they want to do are. That conversation results in, when they see the arbitrary results, which are obviously in the wrong order, they say, oh no, we should do that first. And because they've had this workshop, they're able to make corrections to a spurious formula and put a um, put an ordering of a work which makes sense. Yeah, it's just a conversation piece, mm, isn't it? Yes, it gives a bad it gives a bad name to the the whole concept. And uh, it's I would say something. I mean, when you were talking about it, I couldn't help but think of another pitfall. Uh, trying because obviously putting a number to it or thinking about the cost of delay is not the same for all items. You said some of them are complex. Would it be a pitfall to artificially or accidentally focus on the ones which are easily quantifiable? So we're going to lose £150,000 per quarter if we don't do this, as opposed to another one which we can't really quantify and therefore we ignore because we have one which we can put a number on. Right. So where I think the distinction is, is between if we can put a number on, it's because it's a planable domain. Mm. It's because it's a predictable domain. And in a predictable domain, then we can use planning techniques and quantifiable techniques to help us make better plans. Right? Cost of delay would be part of that. In the other kind of domain, where it's very fuzzy, you know, 
we, d we don't know what the benefit of this is going to be. This is a lot of what agile projects do. You know, it's working in language not predictable. That probably means that quantifying the cost of delay of every item on the backlog is a stupid idea. Friendly, right? You may say the big items, the epics, the you know the super epics, and so you know, should we do these at that? Even in those domains, taking the pure cost of delay approach, where you say, well, we should obviously do these one at a time, so that we don't have cost of delay in all of them. We'll at least have the cost of delay of the first one. Even that may be wrong in those complex domains because we try multiple things and see what works rather than finish something and then finish the next thing. We do that in a planable domain where we can predict what the outcomes are likely to be. And so answering your question, I think if you can put the numbers on it, that's probably because it's a planable domain and you should use this technique. Be careful that it's, you know, is it linear? You know, is it, is it a, step, a step function or an impulse function of the cost of delay? Well, then, you know, you've got to take into account other things than just using the formula. But in those circumstances where you can predict with some confidence what is going to happen, then it's very, very applicable. Cost of delay is generally applicable. Just by you mean to say, but would it be good in situations where you can put the number to one of them, but not the others? to obfuscate or hide that number because once you tell them we think that this one might cost us more if we delay it but we can't really know but we know for sure that this one's going to cost us that much the one which you can quantify is probably going to be the one you end up working on even though you think the other one is more dangerous for you yes and I think you can make errors like that and I think that's you know what you have to be careful of because the danger is you put numbers on things which you can't put numbers on that is more dangerous because then you think you're making a rational decision when actually you're hiding the fact that this mm. is an area you can't predict. It relates to me to discussions about proposals for projects in general and estimates because obviously cost estimates and benefit estimates, value estimates, are applicable in this situation. And when you look at business cases for initiatives, um, you'll have an estimate of what the cost is, almost certainly wrong, but probably not wrong by more than 100%. Mm. You know, I mean, cost estimates can be worse than 100% wrong, particularly if they're big. But you know, usually you're within percent with the right answer, so double the cost, oh, what a blow. On the case of the value in the business case, the business case is almost certainly, you know, it could be one order of magnitude, two order of magnitudes different between one person's opinion and another. And that is where these things become fictions. So it may be that more analysis would tighten up our understanding of what the value of these items is, or actually we can't predict what will happen. What we need to do is small items that we can prove by experiment in the market, and that will lead us to um, a better way of doing things. All right, I think that's a good place to stop for now, because I feel like Andy and Helen to continue talking about this well into the night and I could we, keep grilling Andy forever. <laughs> we probably should have him actually. I mean what are you doing after this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah but I don't want to keep you up all night Andy. <laughs> Uh, I'd like to thank Andy for taking the time to come and talk to us. I mean, I can't really thank Helen because we're doing this together, so <laughs> she kind of has to be here. 
It was a great pleasure for me and I really enjoyed talking with you and hopefully encouraging people to make their own investigations of how to use cost to delay in their context. And if you do want the jumping off point, you can find the link to Andy's blog series in the description. And I'm sure he'll be happy to answer any questions you have. Maybe you can definitely reach him uh, via Twitter. All right. Until the next one, it's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Yes.